VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I'm your host, Monica Regnett. This week on the pod, we're keeping it in-house. We got some family and some people I really respect with some great basketball opinions. Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Welcome to another fantastic edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I am your host, Monica McNutt, and today... We have a friend of the pod, friend of the family, family member, all these things. I was going to say friend of the family. We family. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I skipped that. You're right. My brother See, from you another. you on the wrong foot already. It's my show. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> my brother from another, Cameron Smith, one of my co-hosts with the MSG 150 and my partner in crime when it comes to all things overtime out of Chicago. You might catch him on Stadium, on the Jam TV out there, doing a bunch of fantastic things. Hi, Cam. What's up, Mom? How you doing? I am great. Wonderful. I must, I must have did something right the first time you had me on because you invited me back. So this is an honor. I'm, <laughs> be, I'm glad to be back. I am glad that you took me up on the honor, but stop banging on the table because we're recording. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm about to walk out this board. All right. No, all jokes aside, free agency, my guy. First of all, mm-hmm. let me just get this in on this here pod. And producer Bruce, I experienced my first earthquake while in Vegas checking out Summer League. It, uh, is Was that, that a Zion Williamson dunk? Is that what caused it? You know, it's funny, right? Because the the second one, somebody tweeted that, except they said it must be Kawhi making his decision, and I genuinely wanted to laugh, like mm. chuckle, chuckle. Yeah. But my stomach was still too knotted up, I like I say, couldn't. Given your situation, <laughs> I was like, it was like That's no, not this, funny. I can't laugh at this right. <laughs> That's not funny at all. Um, so Glad you're safe. safe. Glad you're safe. Thank you. I'm unfortunately no major injuries. That obviously happened Friday night. As Zion was indeed playing, the Knicks and the Pelicans were getting after it. The game ends up being called for safety. The Knicks have to take the L. I think the worst part of the experience for me, sitting in the stands in press row, was you see people jumping up and running out. So there's like hysteria, even though this thing has passed and we're actually safe. Well, I didn't have the luxury of being in Vegas like Monica was. Um, so I was at home in Chicago watching it <laughs> on television. But the interesting thing that happened was Mark Jones, Doris Burke on the call, but they had the camera shot on David Griffin of the Pelicans. And you saw a mid-conversation with Trajan Langdon, and he just put his arms in the air. He's like, wait a minute, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? And then that's when Mark Jones and Doris Burke jumped in saying, I think we just had an earthquake. So interesting enough that while that was going on, Alonzo Trier of the Knicks drove down the lane and dunked it while the earthquake was happening. That was just crazy just to think about in so many different ways because you got a guy playing and doesn't get the ground shaking or the building shaking. I'm still getting my buckets. There was one other person sitting on press row with me who I did not know, a gentleman, but I swear we gave each other like the notebook type look, like (laughs) save me because neither one of us knew what to do. But that's neither here nor there. The real earth-shaking news, Cam, Bruce, has to be Kawhi Leonard to the Clippers. And wait, it doesn't stop there. Paul George, out of OKC, headed home as well to team up 
in La La Clip Land? Yeah, That's not even La La Land. Yeah, Clip Land. They have to call it like Clip Land. It can't be anything with La La because you associate that with the Lakers in Hollywood. Um, I woke up to this, like obviously like the rest of the world did, <laughs> because I believe it happened maybe at about 2 a.m. Central Time, at least for those in the Midwest. And still had like sleep in my eye, and I'm waking up and I'm going on Twitter. And I'm like, wait, he what? 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 And like woke up instantly. It was better than coffee. That was the best wake up I ever had. But it just shifted the entire NBA. And I think most more so on the fact that dudes were like, all right, finally, Kawhi decided where he can go. Now I can get my free agency things going on and decide where I want to go. But wow, Kawhi and Paul George in LA with the Clippers in LeBron's building. Kawhi's just like really feeling himself. Like that's like the ultimate like I'm in my I'm in my bag move, right? As he should be. Though. He should. I mean, you win an NBA championship and NBA Finals MVPs in two different conferences, right? You consider yourself the best player in that, and I do this every year. Whoever wins the Finals MVP, in my opinion, that's the best player in the NBA. All right. So that's my thing. But you do all of that and you go to L.A., don't stay in Toronto, you don't go to New York, you don't go to the Lakers, you go to the Lakers' rival and the Clippers, same building as Brian, and say, hey, what's up? I'm here, bro. You can't shake me. Bruce, all your <laughs> wealth of basketball NBA knowledge, does anything remotely compare to this free agency summer? Not that I can remember, but you know what I think is kind of funny? And I actually, I read this in a column by our good pal Mark Stein from the New York Times. He was saying that, you know, Brooklyn gets Kawhi, uh, Brooklyn gets uh, Kyrie and KD, and the Clippers get you know Kawhi and Paul George. It's like the little brothers in the two big cities, the Nets and the Clippers, punch the big brothers, the Lakers and the Knicks, right in the mouth with those moves. You know what I'm saying? The little guy, you know, punching up and and connecting. So I love that, and yeah. in fact, I tweeted, which Cam sort of shot down. That we could now honestly be looking at a Christmas Day game between the as opposed Wait, to. Wait, I didn't Mon- shot the. I didn't shoot that. It wasn't down. you. No, that wasn't. Me. Okay, well, See, look at that. Look my at bad. That. I apologize. I did misfire. Okay, but we could be looking at franchises that are not traditionally the marquee in some marquee lineups just because of the star power on those rosters. If you if you're the Clippers and you're the Brooklyn Nets, and this is coming from that little brother syndrome because I am a little brother. Like there there there, there came a moment where I stood up to my older brother. My brother's four years older than me, great person. But, you know, it's what boys and brothers do. They fight, right, physically, right? But there was a moment where I got a little older, got a little stronger, and I decided to punch back. And it was a glorious moment. Like, everything slowed down. I think I elevated and levitated a little bit. But I think that's how the Clippers and the Nets are feeling right now. The land, Kawhi, and Paul George in L.A. with the Clippers, and Katie and Kyrie in Brooklyn is just like, yeah, we here. But, Bruce, it doesn't change the history. I mean, does the history even matter? Like, in your mind, Bruce, of all no. the NBA that you've covered. It does not you, matter. Listen, my no. brother beat me up consistently okay, no. about 100, 100% of my right. childhood. But that one punch, <laughs> that one realization from his fans that, oh, I can't push him around like I, like I used to, all the past history is wiped away. I did not know we were going to turn into a little brother therapy. Okay, that's, that's let me just, is. let me get back to Bruce. Okay, or, go ahead, anyway. go ahead, Bruce. I'm sorry. I, I, that's I, I went down a, a bar. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, I got good. a little bit off. Okay, you're good. Okay, Bruce. Yeah. Do these franchises now eclipse, truly eclipse their little brothers, or do we still have to wait and see if they become title holders? No, I mean, they, they, much like Cam with his big brother, he got that one shot in, but, you know, now it's like, you know, 99 to one, you know, the, the, the Nets get a win, the Clips get a win. But you know what's funny, though? And everyone seemed like they were so shocked that Kawhi went to the Clippers. 
I thought he was going to the Clippers all along. I never quite, I think they just, Kawhi liked to keep things kind of low key and everything. And you never heard a peep out of the Clippers. And I think, you know, that really, you know, they, they really had a good read on him. And if you remember my good friend who I worked with for years and uh, former Spur Bruce Bowen, I don't know if you remember Bruce was doing analysis for the Clippers last year and uh, or the year before last rather. And he made some comment about Kawhi and the Clippers were so intent that they were going after him. They actually fired Bruce for saying, you know, what he believed to be the truth about Kawhi. So to me, that that was kind of a signal way back when that I thought he's destined to go there. And no, it doesn't change anything. L.A.'s still a Laker town. New York's still a Nick town. And it would take, I think, multiple championships by the Clips and the Nets to change all that. Wow. Hmm. You know, Bruce, thinking back to our roster, I, I kind of thought he was going to stay. I did not know that Kawhi was very anti-cold weather. But remember, we had Mike Hill on who said, he was on BBB with us, who said that the culture that the Clippers were building was extremely attractive and he had saw he had serious reason to think that Kawhi might end up there. Well, look, I mean, the Clippers have built an incredibly good organization. They got a great owner who's got, you know, more money than God, Steve Ballmer. And one of the kind of, it's not really an under the radar move, but they brought Jerry West back to LA. He was with Golden State. He helped build the team that Golden State became. And they brought Jerry West back to help out Lawrence Frank, who's their uh, general manager. And really, that organization, they got a great medical staff there now, which is obviously very important to Kawhi. So I think, you know, he's going to fit in there like a claw fits in a glove. See what I did there? See what you did there. See what you did there. All right. It's interesting. And and Bruce, I'm not sure if you thought about this or Monica uh, yourself either, but I was talking about this last with uh with uh Tyler Jacobs and Dave Ross on our show Stadium that comes on Fridays from five to six. Watch Stadium.com. Shameless plug. I had to get it in there. Love <laughs> Stadium. Yeah, it's cool. You're a pro. <laughs> but this was this was the this was the conversation, and we talked about Kawhi being diabolical enough to try and hold out for as long as he could to dry up the free agent market for the Lakers, where it made it tough for them to attract a bigger name free agent, right? So they, they, and you remember the reports about Kawhi's camp, not really giving a reason to the Lakers why they wanted them to hold off on the Anthony Davis trade and just waiting them basically until the 11th hour to uh, make their decision. And when they made their decision, it was with the Clippers instead of the Lakers. So I, and my thinking is we don't know much about Kawhi. He doesn't give too much off in the meat. But at the same time, though, it's a little savvy and gamesmanship-like for him to hold off and allow L.A. to sweat a lot, but then at the end of the day, not get a lot, which in turn, they still picked up some nice pieces. Maybe Bradley, Danny Green, obviously, they picked up Boogie Cousins. But can't hurt Kawhi, or uh, not Kawhi for trying, though. If You're he right. really... I'm sorry. Go for if, it. He, if he really did that, then I'd give him even more credit for, for, for being a chess player as well as a basketball player. I agree with you. And I was just about to say to Cam's point, I don't know enough about him to say that he would or wouldn't, but that really would have been something. I wouldn't put it past him. 
I and board man gets paid, locks teams up, stresses out the free agent market, all of that. And I don't want to sit down at a poker table when I see Kawhi Leonard. I'm like, all right, well, this is uh-uh. not. Good. <laughs> right, so free agency, man, definitely one for the books. But so now we're looking at some of these new super teams, you could even call. You got to look at the Lakers. The buzz as of late is that LeBron will be officially not just LeBron taking over the game, but LeBron is going to play point guard for this squad. Thoughts? Cam? He's naturally a point guard. That's what he's been his entire life. And you remember the first year in Miami with uh, the Heat down there, and they really tried to take him off the ball. Once they decided to put him back on the ball that next season, what happened? One championship, and the next year they won another championship, back-to-back years. So he's a better fit in that situation where he has the ball, and he's controlling the offense, and you're able to put pieces around him where you have shooters, right? We have Wally Zerbiak on for our show, MSG 150, and Wally played with LeBron in Cleveland towards the end of his career. And he was just saying that, look, in the fourth quarter, LeBron had the basketball in his hands, and they spaced the floor with shooters, a lot of the same thing they did in Miami with Ray Allen and uh, Mike Miller as well. So I think when you put the basketball in his hands, it allows him to, one, dominate his one-on-one matchup, but then also at the same time, if they're bringing help from weak side defenders or wherever they're going to try and bring them from, LeBron has the size and really strength to really get passes cross-court. And he, he and Derrick Rose are really the only two players that I've been able to see make a diagonal cross-court pass right into the pocket of a, of a shooter's hands. Like, it's, it's, it's really a, a talent. It's yeah. great to see. So I, I like him at the point guard. It's funny that you brought back Miami because all I really remember – of those teams is him yelling at Mario Chalmers, who I think of as the point guard on that team, <laughs> and like always in Mario's face about what he, where he should be or what he should have been doing. So yeah, by default, in my mind, he still was the point guard. My concern there is that <laughs> if is, is LeBron going to really be bringing the ball up across half court? I mean, that seems like an awful lot of work for a guy to do when they're really trying to put him in a position to, you know, not have to put as much energy in and also who's he going to guard i mean what position is he gonna? he can't chase point guards around out there so i don't know i mean it seems like it'll probably be some sort of a hybrid thing like maybe you know because they're going to bring rondo back who i think is perfect with that group um so you know they say he's going to play point guard i want to see it till i you know before i believe it yeah, and point guard is such a heavy title, right? Because mm-hmm. you, it comes with so many responsibilities. So bringing the basketball up the court, setting up the offense, getting guys in position, setting them up to basically uh, be in position to score as well. So when they said point guard, they should have went with, well, he's gonna, we're gonna run a lot of the offense through LeBron. I think that would have been a better way to put it instead of saying he's gonna play point guard. Uh, yeah. But I, I would say that you know you want to put Avery. Avery Bradley maybe in the starting lineup. He's had a history of playing point guard in the mm-hmm. league mm-hmm. and throughout his career. Or even Bruce, to your point about bringing back Rondo, like they could throw him in the starting okay, lineup. Okay, time out. Fun. This is okay. I know you guys are, might bulk at my next statement, but I'm always representing the DMV, the Lakers, in a very don't say what I think you're about to say. And listen, in a very cost efficient move, picked up one Quinn Cook. Okay. I'm not saying starting, but I'm saying if you got LeBron playing by committee, Avery Bradley showing the ropes, he's under Rajon Rondo, who at his peak was one of our favorite point guards in the league. Remember, when the Warriors won that 2018 title, Quinn had to step in and hit some big-time shots because they had guards that were injured. Now, I get it. In the most recent title run, 
he didn't necessarily come up in big moments, but I think that team was broken down in a different kind of way. But you give him a chance to learn under those guys. The kid went to Duke. We've had how many analysts on our show talking about the difference between those Duke teams that were led with Quinn Cook as a senior compared to what R.J. Barrett and Zion and them had this year. So he's got the basketball savvy. I'm just saying. It could I be think you're right. I, th- I think what you just said really makes a lot of sense because Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo are both really good guys when it comes to sort of mentoring younger players. I mean, Rondo and Jimmy Butler – you know, locked horns repeatedly in Chicago because Butler was crushing the young guys and Rondo was sticking up for him. So he definitely, Rondo's got one of the highest basketball IQs, I think, of anybody I've ever seen play. And Avery Bradley is no slouch there either. So I think you're onto something there, Monica. Thanks, Bruce, because Cam is looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> well, you are crazy, but you made a good point. <laughs> I'm glad we agree on that, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got that one. Then let's bring it back to the East Coast, the other little brother. Uh, Here's my thing. Well, I'm going to toss this out to you guys. If we had to go with standings right now for Eastern Conference favorites, I'm not even, we don't even have to go eight deep, maybe six. Because the thing is, Kevin Durant is not playing. And we still have to see what Kyrie looks like as a net. True. My favorite, I think, is Philly. I like, I really like the addition of Al Horford. So that's my, I'm going Philly. Yeah, I, you have to put Philly in there, but you can't forget about Milwaukee. They're still there. So, I mean, Milwaukee ended up losing to Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. And still, even even though they lost Brooke Lopez and Nico Miritich, they still brought back Chris Middleton, which was a big signing. Um, in my eyes, paid a little bit too much, but they were in a tough spot. So they had to bring him back to help Giannis. But yeah, Philly, Milwaukee's definitely in there. Boston, Kimball Walker, still with Jalen Brown, Jason mm-hmm. Tatum. You have to throw them in there as well. Um, then it kind of gets a little interesting after right. that. You could throw Miami possibly in there with if Jimmy Russ Butler. Goes. They still have Goran Dragic. And as, as you mentioned to your point, Monica, if Russell goes there, they're definitely going to be catapulted in that top three, top four area. Um, but then after that, it's like, ah, I'm saying, who right? else goes? Indiana possibly? I and do like Indiana six, to get a in healthy there. Victor Oladipo. Hopefully they can get him. Malcolm Brockton. Malcolm Brockton's there. They also got Jeremy Lamb. That was mm-hmm. a nice pickup to come off the bench and maybe put him in the, into the starting lineup. So the East is a lot more solid than people realize when you actually break down what they have. Now, I know we went maybe about five deep there, right? So we yeah. went Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, uh, possibly Miami, Miami, Indiana. So that's about five. That's five, there. yeah. I can't. So, I can't I mean, that's, that's, after that. That's, yeah, after that it gets a little. Gets a little. Ah, you're not sure. Uh, you know, I mean, Toronto's still going to make the playoffs in the yeah. East. I'm you pretty sure. So. I'm not sure. Make the playoffs? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean. Well, Pascal Siakam, it's going to be his time. Like he but has isn't to be able to his step time up. without somebody who demands as much attention as Kawhi. Well, did. I think that's why they do it by committee. So you're going to have hopefully a bigger role in Kyle Lowry, a bigger protection from him, Fred VanVleet. Hopefully, Serge Ibaka can return to the Serge Ibaka that we remember back in OKC when he was a force on both ends. Uh, well, not force. I'm not going to say that, but especially on the defensive end. Um, but yeah, I can see Toronto being in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Brooklyn's probably going to still make it, you know, probably six seed, maybe. I mean, I could see them. I, I think they're kind of right there around six. But I, I think you guys are right about Philadelphia and Milwaukee, 1-2 or 2-1. I'm not sure who's better. And one of the things that I think Al Horford's really going to help, one of the guys, everyone says, oh, he's going to really help Joel Embiid. I think he's really going to help Ben Simmons because Ben is a non-shooter and Al can step out there 
and be a playmaker, you know, in that high pick and roll two man game and also step out there and hit threes. So I think Ben Simmons is really going to benefit from having Al Horford out on the court. It's going to be fun yeah. to watch. But I, I like that, Bruce. So, I mean, especially when it comes to playoff time where the game shrinks and it becomes more of a half court game. So I think that's where Al Horford will be really effective for the Sixers and what they run with Brett Brown. Right. I always I always called Al Horford a superstar glue guy. You know, glue guys aren't usually superstars. When it comes to glue guys, they get no better than Al Horford. That's a, I love that, though, because you're absolutely right. And not only is his skill set versatile, but he's a pro. Like, he's a pro's pro. He's only going to add to that locker room. Um, all right, so, Bruce, here's, here's the other one that we got to get to, the buzzing topic. We mentioned it potentially, Miami as a playoff team, if one Russell why is his name so difficult to say? Russell <laughs> Westbrook there we were to team up with Jimmy Butler in Miami. Now, on the MSG 150 today, Bruce, Cam and I got into a... It was a passionate... Passionate, passionate discussion, discussion over Russ. Russ is definitely fire. We can agree. Is he fire that heats or fire that burns becomes the question. And for all the NBA you know, Bruce, can Russ and Jimmy Butler coexist and make that team a playoff contender if they join up in Miami? I would love to see him try because here's the thing. I mean, nobody, both of those guys are like incredible competitors. They both really are. You, you, you talk about the fire. The fire burns in both of them. And if there's any place that they maybe could work together, I think it would be under the Pat Riley umbrella because Pat Riley is is one of those rare individuals that everybody listens to and and even strong-willed guys like Russ and Jimmy Buckets. And and Eric Spolstra, you know, has Riles's full support and you know, he's a championship coach as well. He's certainly used to dealing with, you know, strong personalities when he had LeBron and and uh and D-Wade and to a lesser extent uh Chris Bosh there. So I don't know that they will or they won't, but I would love to see them try. Yeah, that would be scary. I mean, you're talking about one player that goes 100 miles an hour at you on both ends, and then it's the same thing with Jimmy Butler, right? And they're going to talk to you. They're going to let you know what's going on, what they're doing to you, why you suck, all of those things, right? And you love that, right? It just brings back those old memories of what the Heat were in the 90s with Tim Hardaway, Alonzo Warning, and P.J. Brown. But if there mm. was – like to your point, Bruce – if there was anyone that could help Russ understand that, look, we need you to play this role for our team, it's going to be Pat Riley and also Eric Spolster. There's only like a handful of coaches or, you know, front office people that can do that. Jerry West, uh-huh. Pat Riley and Eric Spolster in Miami, Greg Popovich in, in San Antonio, and I think David Fisdale could, could have some success in trying to help Russ understand what they need from him for a team. Are but, you saying the Knicks should go after him? I'm not saying the Knicks okay. should go after him, but I think Fisdale has the mentality to say, Russ, believe in me for a second. Let me let me get you on, on the same same wavelength as I am. All right, so let's fire up this discussion. Bruce, do you have on your stripes and your whistle? You ready to officiate? Let's do it. So Cam made the point on the show that <laughs> Russ can't be around any other, or no other talented guys can flourish next to Rush. And he said that Victor Oladipo is an example of that because what we got out of him when he left OKC and went to Indiana. I countered that because Vic has talked about this and has gone on record that he learned a ton from Russ in terms of how to actually work, how to elevate his game, how to change his body, that he credits Russ for being able to take the next step 
in his game. I think that even if Vic had stayed with Russ, because they were working so closely together, he still would have taken his game to the next level, even though he may not be as notable as we know in Indiana. It, you okay. know, go ahead, Cam. Here's my point on that. Monica, you know, touched on a two couple small things that I that I hit on. But here's my thing. <laughs> here's my thing. Um, as as great as Russ is, and don't get me wrong, like Russ is one of the best players that we had in the NBA in terms of what he's able to do. Three straight seasons of averaging a triple double. But it's been proven that those, and this, we'll see with Paul George, and I'm sure he'll be fine when he goes to the Clippers. And not to say that he had a bad year with OKC, because at one point in time, he was considered the MVP of the NBA, right? That was kind of early on, midway through the season. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, when you look at players like Kevin Durant and you look at a player like Victor Oladipo, who's had success after they've left Russell Westbrook. Oladipo averaged 15 points with OKC. And, and obviously, you would think that his numbers would be brought down a little bit because he's playing with another great star. But for a player of his ha- talent to only average 15 points says a lot to, one, how he was handled with that offense and that situation, but two, also his comfort level in terms of playing with Russell on the court that he wasn't able to take enough shots or be effective enough because you got Russell with just jacking shots, jacking shots, jacking shots, but I don't- which we've seen this past season. So you go from averaging 15 in OKC to improving your numbers, not only scoring-wise, but percentage-wise shooting, rebounds, assists, steals. Oladipo went from 15 to 23 a couple seasons ago in Indiana and 18 last year before he injured his knee. Is that not not being removed from a situation and being elevated to a extent where, okay, well, this is my team. This is what I can do. This is what I can show. Okay, round one. Bruce, jump in here. All right. Well, when, 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 you know, I, I can't really say that either of you is right or wrong. I think Vic was just a really young player when he was in OKC and he kind of knew his place. If you know what I'm saying, I don't think he would have had, he could have stood up to a guy like Russ at that point, but when he got to a situation back home in Indiana, as it were, I think he felt like, okay, this is my team, or at least um, there's nobody that's, you know, a dominant personality ahead of me on this team. And I think, you know, it was just sort of natural growth for him. Uh, that's, you know, I know that doesn't really declare a winner or a loser there, but. Yeah. That was, it was so sage and wise. It was very wise. While we're so like wise. the kids scrapping over something that honestly <laughs> is completely irrelevant. <laughs> I love you both equally. What can I say? <laughs> You're both my pals. All right. So we knocked off the, we talked about right. I mean, other than Miami, where could he even land? I heard point. Detroit, right? I heard Detroit might want to might want to yeah. take a shot, put him with Blake Griffin and uh, and Andre Drummond, but I don't know what what kind of salaries they have to trade for him. So, Bruce, do you see? Because the conversation that we've also had is Russ learning to play a different style of basketball because his game is so predicated on athleticism. Father Time is undefeated for all of us. Thirty years old. Now. Um, like. I don't, I, I, Blake Griffin, but again, even for Blake Griffin, his highlight days are sort of behind him. They're not what yeah, he, he once he, was. He's opened this game up a lot more. Like he's shooting a lot more from the perimeter, especially when it comes to threes. Uh, so it just happens. You have to be able to evolve. Russ is still a fantastic point guard. I definitely believe he adds to a team. I, I would like to believe that he's coachable, 
Billy Donovan has just given him green light to go for triple triple doubles. And it's not just Billy Donovan, but it's everyone within the Thunder organization. They're like, enablers. He, he, he runs the organization. Like, in terms from what he does on the court to how he handles the media and just what goes on throughout the, the, the locker room and the front office. Like, if someone steps to Russ and says something that he doesn't like or tries to suggest anything to him, I think that Russ would get them fired. Like, I seriously. Don't think that, I don't think that's true. I don't think he would go that way. But at the same time, again, like, to your point, they enable him. And when you do that, it brings a soft or, excuse me, a false confidence within yourself to say, okay, well, I'm untouchable. And that's why I think but I think Russ is at this point is his, is, of his career in his head. That's why I think it's going to take a very strong-minded coach or front office or GM to open his eyes up and say, hey, you can't be that guy here. You got to change some things around. I don't care what happened in OKC and how you ran things, but this is something different and new. I think, I think in Oklahoma City, they were just so paranoid, you know, when Durant left. I think they were like, oh, my God, no matter what, we cannot lose this guy, yeah. especially after they traded Harden even a few years prior to that. So I think it was really sort of like they were just desperate to keep this superstar player in town. And now that PG is gone, you know, I, I can't imagine Russ is going to be there too much longer. I mean – but again, it's not going to be easy to trade him. He he's got an enormous contract. I mean, four years, one hundred and seventy million. Yeah, and I think the last year of his deal, it's like a forty-seven million dollar salary for that. I mean, who who can pay? You know, who can fit that in? So okay, so as we, this has been a fantastic pod, guys. Good good stuff. The other buzzing topic, also out in Vegas, and we actually had him join us today on the MSG one hundred and fifty via the video call conference. Amari Stoudemire is trying to make his return to the NBA. Amari's back. Bruce, you you picking up Amari? No, no, <laughs> no. And 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 I really like Amari too. I think he's a great human being. I just love his personality. I think you know. I mean, his knees were bad three, four years ago. I mean, you know, I I don't know. I guess on a minimum deal. You could take him, but is he going to settle for being like, you know, the ninth guy? I mean, I don't know. And that's my thing. And Monica and I were talking about this. If, if Amari is coming back to the NBA and he's getting his body right, he's getting in shape. And we've had, we've heard, we heard him talk about on the uh, MSG 150, how he's really just kind of taken and broken down his training and really focused on all the details to get where he is now. He says he's down to 235 pounds, which is the lowest he's ever been when it comes to uh, playing in his career. He's going to want to play. And if he wants to play, he's not going to do that with a team that is at the bottom of the barrel of the NBA. I'm sure he's going to want to play for the contender. So he's not going to make all these sacrifices and put all this work in to not have a chance at a championship. But that makes the assumption that he's going to have the luxury of those choices. Like, this is not... I mean, Al Horford's not at the end of his career, but this is not, like... Vince Carter going back to Toronto as they make a chase in his last year. You know what I mean? Like, he's not yeah, getting the yeah. Dwayne Wade return home treatment. One, he's not trying to come back for a single year, it doesn't sound like. No. He, he really believes that he has something to offer beyond the basketball. He thinks he, or he, he thinks, and I would agree that he obviously brings a degree of veteran leadership and experience. In a perfect world, maybe, but when we talked to him on the show, I didn't get the vibe that it was ring chaser or bust. I get the vibe that he wants to be back in the league. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and to your point, Bruce, like, Amari's a great person. Like, I love who he is as a person, and we're just talking off the court 
um, and also on the court too. Though I mean, he he's a, he's always kind of like that that big brother mentor to a lot of young guys. If he wants to be just that, and Monica, what you get from what he was saying in his interview, then that's fine. Then that's a big reason why he had a number of NBA teams at his workout today, watching him to see how he looks. So if he's going to be that for maybe a Sacramento, or if he wants to bring some nostalgia back and come back to the Knicks, then that would be great. Well, yeah. Thanks. I mean, you know, if if there was a team, and again, New Orleans is kind of one of the teams that I'm thinking, although I don't know if they're really interested, but he's the kind of guy that that can really show younger players how to be pros. And one of the biggest concerns, I think, you know, that I, a lot of former players and analysts that I've spoken to say, the guys are coming into the league now that are so young that they don't really have mentors in the locker room. In fact, I was talking to Chauncey Billups. He did Mike Weiser's show with us a few days ago, and he was saying exactly that. He's here. Teams don't value guys like that anymore, and they really, really should. So a team with some young bigs where Amari could maybe practice against them every day, show them how to do things right with their bodies and keeping, you know, acting like pros, that's where his greatest value would be, I think, is what can he do in practice to help some younger guys develop? That's a great point. That's a great point. So in the vein of nostalgia, is this something that the Knicks, I like the idea of the Pelicans, but do you think it's something that the Knicks should maybe could explore Bruce? That seems like a, would be a really good place for him to be. I mean, he has a history there, right? And I think he loves New York and I think the fans in New York really love him too. So if they're willing to take a shot, I mean, look, he's not going to be looking for a bunch of money. They'll probably be able to get him pretty cheap. And, uh, you know, to work with some of those younger guys, you know, the RJs, the Izzy's and those guys, Knox's, uh, Mitchell Robinson, he'd probably be a nice little, uh, you know, fit in there. I, I didn't I say that, Kim? Yeah, I said that, that earlier. But Amari also did say that he has his eyes open to for know, sure. situations that fit for him, but also those that have been loyal to him in his career. And we know that New York showed him a lot of love, a lot of love. when he was here. And he loved New York right back. All right, guys. So Cam's been on the show. Bruce, you're with me every episode. There's three of us here. So between the three of us, we each are going to cover the bucket board in the block. Bruce, you can pick your first one and you can give it to us wherever you want to go, whether it's summer league, free agency, or just something to cause us to think. I'm going to go with a bucket. I was watching uh, a little bit of the Celtics, my favorite team, uh, in their summer league game. And I was looking at Taco Fall, all seven foot six of them. And I'm thinking, I love watching a guy like that get a chance. On a team like Boston, he's probably going to end up, you know, starting out in the G League. But I think that's a guy that with a little, you know, patience could end up being somebody that can really, you know, make an impact at some point. So I'm going to go with Taco Fall for a bucket. All right, Cam, you got a board or a block? A block? I hope I'm doing this right. The block uh, is the thing you want to get out of here. Like, that's the trash thing. Okay, the trash thing that I want to get out of here. What about the board? The board is the thing that, when you first look at it, not so great, but it may have some silver lining, like a rebound. Okay. Uh, I will go with the board, and I will choose Jackson Hayes of the Pelicans. Okay. I watched him play last night, and when you saw him being drafted, uh, in the June draft, and I believe he was a lottery pick. If I'm not mistaken, he was. He was. Um, you look at it, it's like, okay, well, I mean, you see some upside there and what he could possibly be, but, you know, 
I guess it's a good move by David Griffin in the front office. And then you watch him in Summer League. And it's like, oh, that's <laughs> why the Pelicans front office brought in Jackson Hayes. Because he does things like block shots with his elbow. Uh, <laughs> caught a couple bodies last night. Uh-huh. And running the floor and was really a big, big presence on the court against the Bulls last night. So Jackson Hayes is going to be my, my boy. A silver lining. He's going to be a nice piece. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to see him flourish. Okay, so that leaves me with a block. Well, this is easy, sort of. I'm definitely blocking the earthquake in Vegas. <laughs> I'm back to get out of here. We need no more of that. But I also, I'm going to block the Pelicans shutting Zion all the way down for the duration mm. of summer league over a knee-to-knee bump. I get it. This is your franchise guy. But all the way down, I mean, those fans out there on Friday night when the Pelicans and Knicks were about to play, that atmosphere went from elite AAU tournament to maybe first game of the conference semifinals just over Zion. So I get it, but you ain't had to shut them all the way down. We could go to a minutes restriction, but you ain't had to shut them all the way down. Like that ruined a lot of people's vacations I'm when saying, they got And you could tell that fans were still waiting for him to come back in the game. Yeah. And then it sort of started to trickle out as it was reported on the broadcast and people picked it up on Twitter and you could just kind of feel people sitting, literally sitting back down, like, okay. (laughs) Like, imagine if you're like a a mother or a father and you get the news that Zion is out for the rest of summer. It's like, well, I basically planned my vacation in Vegas with my kids so they can see Zion. Now that's gone. But they got Jackson Hayes, silver lining. (laughs) That's the board. Hey! (laughs) I like what you did there, Cam. Well, Bruce, my that in it that in itself was a board the way cam handled that i think he, he turned a, that was a nice silver lining transition there cam way to go man he, that, he nailed it all right team for my <laughs> fantastic uh producer extraordinaire also guest sidekick and then cameron smith of the msg 150 cam where can the people follow you you can follow me on twitter ig facebook all of that on all social media platforms just Cameron Smith, no Ian Cameron. We're good. All right. Cameron. Yeah, well, Cameron. That's how we go. That's how it's spelled, but it's Cameron. My mom said, no, it's Cameron. Okay. Looks like Cameron. <laughs> but anyway, guys, thanks for this fantastic hoops conversation. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> and Cam. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Mo. All right. Let's go. Time to stick the landing. <laughs> Our super producer and my loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, our awesome editor, Ben Wolfen, my brother from another, our guest today, Cameron Smith, for today's podcast, dropping some great basketball knowledge and things to think about. Please don't forget to check out our other shows from Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show has Chauncey Billups this week. Big time Chauncey. Catch and Shoot with Adam and Noah has former NBA center Todd McCullough. And I promise you, his stories about Allen Iverson, Shaq, and Jason Kidd are not to be missed. And the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops every Friday. We'll be back next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. But until then, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 